you know, getting people to a place that they can be honest. Twice during our nine-week training, we have lock-in meetings where it's just the athletes. I call them root meetings. And root because you can cite 10 reasons to why you're perpetuating the cycles in your life, but then there's the root of it. And in my case, the root I had to dig out was that childhood sex abuse. And then through that, have a different lens in which you viewed so many other things and giving yourself some mercy and some grace. So I was able to, to look at that man who had that shame on his face. And I told him, and I believe this to anyone that's listening, in your maker's eyes, in the creator of the universe, whatever, however you identify with that being or whatever that is to you, your worth in, in that eye is fixed. It is a nail and mortar, right? No matter what you do that's good or bad or in between, you can't change that. Welcome one and all to chapter 28 of the Let's Give a Damn podcast. I'm so thrilled you're here. Thank you for joining me, and I'm very excited about our guest today. Before I introduce our guest, a quick reminder for you to continue to find ways to be involved in the recovery process and the relief efforts happening as a result of Hurricane Harvey. And now we have Hurricanes Irma, Katia, and Jose off the eastern Atlantic coast. Super tragic. I mean, four within the matter of a week and a half, two weeks, and Irma has decimated some islands, has already hit Haiti, and it's supposed to make landfall. I guess by the time you listen to this, it will have already made landfall, but just super tragic. So by the time you're listening to this, actually, a lot of the damage will have been done. We will have already watched the news and seen the devastation on social media. Again, we're all in this together. This is not their problem. This is not something they have to deal with. We get to participate in this as both as citizens of the same country. If you live in the US, I know many of you don't, but also just as fellow humans, like we are all in this together. If they win, we all win. And so we want them to win. We want them to recover from this. We want them to, hopefully they're going to survive from this. Hopefully people have evacuated, gotten out of there. It is super tragic. So continue to find ways to help out regarding Hurricane Harvey. You know you've already heard my thoughts. Preemptivelove.org forward slash Harvey. Legacycollective.org forward slash Harvey. Two organizations we've donated to. They're on the ground. They are seeing things that many of the other organizations are not seeing. So consider giving to them, but also find your organization, find your people, find your tribe, give to them, help them with these relief efforts. Super tragic. Okay, this week's guest, I'm very excited about David Vabora from the Adaptive Training Foundation. David is a fantastic example of perseverance, pushing through, giving so many dams, and meeting needs that were otherwise left unmet in a lot of ways. The Adaptive Training Foundation, which David has started, their mission is to empower the human athlete, restore hope through movement, and redefine the limits of individuals with disabilities. I won't explain what that actually means even. I want David to explain it to you. I want David to talk you through it, and we'll get to that in our talk. But just know this is a high-energy individual with lots of visions and dreams and the ability to make them happen. I believe you will be inspired toward action as a result of this talk. This is a very action-oriented individual. 
And I want you to learn from him as you begin or continue to give a damn about the people, places, and things around you and around the world. So without further ado, I will shut up. My name is Nick Lapara. I'm so thrilled you're here. And this is my conversation with David Vobora from the Adaptive Training Foundation. You are, um, well, let's just put it this way. You're extremely physically fit. <laughs> um, talk us through your daily routine, sleep, diet, exercise, anything else that helps you live the kind of life you do so that you can just stay, you know, in good primo physical shape. Yeah. Yeah. My day starts, my alarm goes off. The first one goes off about 4.45 AM. I got up this morning about 3.30 and Mondays, uh, you know, I try to make my weekend about my family. I have a four-year-old little girl, a two-year-old little girl. And so as long as I don't have anything on my schedule, that phone is is dead to me. And I try to dive in. And so I like to start Monday morning around the 3.30, 4 a.m. hour. But I'd say this, my typical day-to-day is wake up right before five. I do uh, a meditation, uh, some breathing. I do a little bit of sort of just DV time, personal development-wise, whether that may be listening to uh, a podcast. It could be listening uh, to a book, an audio book as I begin my day. But meditation mindfulness is how I start. Then I go and I cook four eggs, uh, not egg whites. I do the full egg. <laughs> I'll yeah. do you know, avocado sometimes, uh, some type of a healthy fat, sometimes some nuts, but um, you know, some type of a fruit or oatmeal to end it. And then I go and I, I look at my day, my schedule, and I just look at you know, anything that I need to make amendments to that, that morning. Uh, and then I work out. And these days... Uh, you know, my staff always laughs because uh, I, I tend to skip leg day, so I look really good in my skinny jeans. <laughs> but it's beautiful. I, I, you know, I don't have to run into giant men on the football field anymore, so I, I, don't, I no longer have to make eating a job, and I no longer have to lift heavy things that hurt my back. Um, <laughs> so, you know, a lot of what I do is body weight, and I try to encourage people. You know, I'm here in Texas, and I have a, lo- a longboard that is my way to, to shred. No, no surfing here in Dallas. So I, I get on the longboard and my dog, who's a 130-pound bloodhound, he pulls me throughout the streets. And between really ripping up the concrete and what I do uh, running with him and doing a lot of body weight, you know, kind of uh, functional movements is, is where really my happy place lies. And of course, the occasional beach muscle bicep curl. There you go. There you go. So what time do you go to sleep then if you get up at, you know, anywhere between 3.30 and 4.45? I go to sleep around 9.30 or 10. Um, if I'm putting the girls to bed, I, I typically get them in bed around 8 and then have a little bit of time for myself or for me and my wife to just hang and do nothing. <laughs> uh, but if I can keep my eyes open long enough to watch a show, then that's great. But most of the time I conk out pretty early and try to get up early. Love it. Love it. Cool. Well, that's that's uh, very helpful and very explains a little bit about your physical physique. I, I used to, from uh, the age of uh, eighteen to twenty three, and I'm thirty three now. So this is it ended a decade ago. When I, I know it's an excuse, but when you know work and school and everything started picking up, uh, but I I was bodybuilder two 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 and a half hours a day. We did all the. This was back when they thought eggs like the egg the egg yolk was bad for you. So I would eat like you know, 10 or 12 egg whites every morning and you know, chicken and potatoes and that whole thing. And I looked really good. Like I was in the best shape of my life. And then I let, I spent six years at, at 23, I spent six years traveling the world, met my wife, got work, just got really busy and kind of let it go. But, um, yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm very encouraged when I, when I look at you and hear this routine, I'm re- really encouraged to get back into it. So 
Maybe I will soon. Well, hopefully. I always tell men, trends return and whatever today that's bad for you will be good for you in a year or so. So, I, I, you know, it, we love the, the concept of ketogenic dieting and ketosis uh, being that the population we work with, whether it be athletes or the veterans, you know, significant traumatic brain injuries and, and what we know with, with cognitive impairment. And so, you know, the better that we have blended. I think the beauty of today's world, whether you want to call it fitness or performance or the blend of the two, even rehabilitation mixed in there. We're kind of seeing that they're overlapping and the better that we tend to them with that synergy and the understanding that, that, that one cannot be addressed without it affecting the others, the better that we can then create optimization as a whole. And so, um, you know, diet, nutrition, the intake is, is always the most critical, but it's also the environment that you put yourself in, the ecosystem, because you do need to be around alphas at times and, and, and have stretch goals that are very synonymous with the 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 force and the willpower but also there's a benefit of of using your your sort of anti-group or your dis, dis-alike, unalike group to go and expose yourself to people that aren't like you and what that can do to broaden your vision and your perspective for self and what that can ultimately do to create inspiration and motivation for you awesome well i'm inspired and motivated so let's give a damn is a place where we tell the stories of people doing extraordinary things because they saw something wrong and gave a damn about it which you have obviously done and we'll get into that but let's start in your early life what kinds of people situations uh things what, what kind of things happened to you or for you that made you the person you are today which we'll get into in a minute yeah i think they all happened for me and i think the greatest of which i <laughs> i have difficulty speaking about, which means that it's all the more reason why I need to speak about it. And that's when I was sexually abused as a, as a kid, right around age mm. 10. And that's something that I felt fractured. I felt less than. I felt like I couldn't trust my instincts. I didn't want anyone to know. I felt as if I allowed it to happen, that it was my fault. And there's so many humans, adults out there and kids today that are, are dealing with a similar hand that's being dealt. And the first thing I want to say out loud, and I hope this resonates, is that whatever scar that you've been dealt, um, it, it wasn't your fault, and you get to decide how you position that piece of your story for the future. And the quickest way to help someone avoid a similar suffering, because pain is inevitable, right? We, we're going to endure pain, and pain is a gift, right? It may not be the gift that you asked for, and in this, in this instance, it definitely wasn't for me as a young boy, but what I created was this void in myself. Like I needed the the external, the, the validation of other people. And sports was a really great way for me to, to have something that everybody knew me for so that they wouldn't ask the harder questions. And it took me until 2012 and getting out of, out of, of drug detox and rehab, um, playing my final year with the Seattle Seahawks in the NFL that year, um, to f- essentially hit rock bottom to begin to voice even that experience. And now as a result of me opening my mouth on that side, not just what I endured with the pain pill addiction, but also um, some of that, just the deep-rooted belief systems and psychology that have perpetuated destructive cycles in my life, I'm able to look at them with, a, with almost an elevated position. I, I can look down on that and say, wow, um, I understand what has been, but that doesn't mean that the narrative I want to write for the future can't be exactly how life happened for me and not to me. And that, that really just is the generation for me of, of humans, of millennials, and I think are willing to open their mouth about that hard thing and that scar. And I'm really proud to be one of those people. Yeah, dude. So you went from 10 years old to 2012, not telling anybody about this? Not telling anybody. I, I, I genuinely wow. felt 
like it was something that I could just bottle up and shove down and forget about. But as we know, uh, you know, those things surface, right? And as much as you think you can shove it down, it still comes back to, you know, what is what are those things that you may have have let or allowed to define you? And how do you defy those? It's not from running from them. It's in, it's advancing toward them. It's actually in owning them and owning the fact that we all have a mountain of something that we've endured. And there's it's a relative response to most people to just want to pack it down. But the sooner that you can advance toward it, you can face it, you can lean into it, the quicker you are able to rebound uh, and, and learn the lesson and actually be a benefit to others around you at your full capacity. Yeah. Well, two quick things. One is I'm very sorry that happened to you, but two, that you eventually, you know, came out with that and are using that to really help people be bold because so many are suffering with this, right? And they're in their insides and never, never, or till later on in life, don't ever talk about it, but there's healing and just getting it out and then letting people come around, right? Well, and that's what we've built at the foundation. I know we're going to get into what, what I'm doing today, but that's, it's psychosocial healing, right? It's the idea that that you know, everybody seems, and this is the, the, the trap, I think, of social media, right? Like it's a projected self. It's this facade. And, and you look at pictures of your friends or the people you grew up with or the person around the corner, and you're like, man, they have it all together. And that's just not true. And as soon as, as, as people are willing to air, like I, I tell people quite often, like I don't trust someone that's never been broken. Like if you can show me the scar that you've endured and how uh, you've redefined your life after understanding it, that's a person I want to be around. Um, those that have it pretend to have it all together. Like that's just, that's a travesty for all those in their life. And they're just lying to themselves. So I want to be around authentic people that are willing to, to hold their scars and be proud of them. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned you were in the NFL. You played for the Rams and the Seahawks, correct? I did. Yeah. I was the last pick in 2008. You know what that guy is called? What is that guy called? Mr. Irrelevant. Mr. Irrelevant. The honorable title of Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah, so I got drafted and I didn't... Well, I'm not a big... I, admittedly, I'm not a big sports guy. I don't care about them at all. But uh, that's a good tidbit of information. And, and how did you feel about being... Like, did you feel like Mr. Irrelevant? Or did you did you feel lucky to be on, lucky to get in? And did you have fun in that process? You know, I had achieved a dream of being drafted in the NFL. So you could call me Mr. Anything You Want, right? I, I, was, I was so stoked to have, have, have been drafted. And then as I found out about what Mr. Irrelevant meant and this whole charity week wrapped around it and how they honored the last pick as the first and this, the media platform that came along with it was an opportunity for me, right? And I, I, I've always kind of considered myself the underdog and, and whether I was using sort of the negative of what happened to me as a kid. And I used that to drive me, right? That pain became something that actually fueled me. Um, and there's a benefit to that at some level, but it also can, can swallow you up. And I think that's what happened with the identity crisis as I tried to transition out of the league. But, you know, for me, Mr. Relevant, I went, I would speak at schools and I'd say, how many of you kids have ever been the last pick in the, on the playground, right? And hands would shoot up. And I'd say, well, I've been the last pick too. And let me tell you why it hasn't stopped me. So I've always been one to introspectively figure out, you know, what is it that David uh, can use for his benefit, even though other people may shy away from it. And I think that's still the part of the story that I use today um, and, and, and getting drafted and becoming a starter my rookie year and creating success was, was an honor. But I do wonder if at some level I was hindered because I had such tunnel vision. My goal was to achieve and, and to become a starter in the NFL. And I had done that, but at what cost to the gifts I had that could have been a benefit to other people? Because I think that today I find that beautiful alignment 
of realizing that my gifts match someone's needs right in front of me and not just any gift, like, you know, resources of money, but a gift specific to what excites me, right? The gym was my sanctuary as I tried to achieve this path of this dream of the NFL. And now in using that as the conduit to serve other people, it, it never feels like work. So I don't care if that's, you know, for whoever's listening, if that's basket weaving for you, well, then you weave the hell out of those baskets and you figure out a way to get kids out of the hood by weaving through baskets, you know? Um, and, and that's, I think, the deeper lesson that I think, you know, Mr. Irrelevant, people say, oh, was that an upsetting title? Like, I already had a big enough chip on my shoulder that I was going to go out and prove other people wrong. Yeah. For everybody listening, you're hearing somebody that we've never met. We're just talking for the first time now. But as I've just, you know, started following you and watching some videos and stuff like you are definitely like 100% somebody that looks at life as happening for even with something like, you know, some a sexual thing like that happened when you were younger, like life is happening for you. You take that uh, being last pick for, you know, in, in for your team and all these things like th- this is how. I think this is why you're the person you are, and we'll get more into that in a few minutes, but this is why you are the person you are, somebody that gives a damn so much, is because you don't look at life as happening to you, you're not, there's no poor, I don't hear any poor me complex, I don't hear any of that, I I hear, oh, this is happening, how can I use that to love people, serve people, help people um, with the things that are happening, you know, for me? Yeah, you know, I have a lot of friends that are some pretty profound badasses, they're Navy SEALs, and they're, you know, MARSOC Marines, special operators, and they're just problem solvers. And the, at times, the hand that's dealt to them, um, the worst card in the deck, they understand three moves from now why it's the best. And, and what I tell people is, at times, you don't have to, you don't need clarity to identify what the emotional feeling is attached to something good, bad, or indifferent, right? You just know it to be true. And whatever that true north is, you have to be willing to, to surrender to what you can't control, which is quite a bit. I mean, we can pretend that we influence a lot of things in our lives, but the cold hard truth is at the center of it all, we can control at times, maybe only our breathing. Um, At times, maybe only the perception of self. Um, And in those cases, that is that quote about courage, because courage isn't having the strength to go on. It's not thinking you have the strength, but going on anyway. And so, yeah, life is is constantly, I almost contend this, the sexual abuse as a kid, the, you know, the injuries in football, the loss of friends, all of those things that you can look back in the story and say, man, those were painful. Those were all necessary to, to give me the lens in which I operate through compassion because compassion is never convenient, right? You can serve without compassion. Right? I can go to a soup kitchen. And I can serve soup, but compassion stops you. It interrupts you. And because it's not convenient, you know, it's worth it. And in those moments, that's when you have to, to give a damn. But in those moments, like my parents, they, they, I think offered me a great gift in empathy and compassion for people. And that was, that was agnostic to so many other phases, whether they were gay or straight or black or white or veteran or civilian, like that's the same way I built this community in the gym. This is like, hey, it is less to do about outcome and everything to do about effort. If you come here wanting to become a better version of yourself, you're the right type of person, right type of population to come in. Um, and that's the piece where I find myself. It's that I can use the gym that excites me and I can serve using compassion, true need for people where I don't just sponge their own victim mindset or their you know, their narrative that they're lost in. Instead, I interrupt it, I disrupt it, and I look at them and I look them directly in the eye. I treat them as a whole person and they rise up. 
Because if you treat someone broken, they act broken. If you look into someone's soul and you say, hey, what you seek is in you, they're going to find it and you're going to get the best of them. So you got out of the NFL, you started a gym, and then you met a man named Travis Mills. Take us through that for a couple minutes. Take us through that process and that story and what happened as a result of meeting Travis. I was at a 40th birthday party, a surprise party for one of my friends, and in walks a guy without arms and legs. And he's got three of his four prosthetics on, uh, obviously both legs and, and one of the arms. And I, I don't know who I was speaking with at the moment, but when I saw him, it was just this magnetic pull and suddenly I was standing right in front of him. And I'm a curious guy. I'm never one to bite my tongue when, it, when the call of my heart is live. And, and I just said, man, I want to work out with you. I challenged him. I said, when was the last time you worked out? And he, you know, very kind of facetiously said, hey, look, I don't want to make you feel like an idiot. But I don't have arms and legs, right? Do you see that, that it'd be a little bit hard? And in that moment, there was this kind of tipping point. And I just said, yeah, I understand your body looks different, but rehab is, you're done with your rehabilitation. You're on your way to develop your life. And what is it for you to redefine your physicality in a place that is a little bit scary, right? We've got NFL players training at the same time as a guy without arms and legs. You imagine the fear he had to overcome just to, just to be willing, just knowing, you know, I have a quote, we have a t-shirt on the on the website, the foundation we sell merchandising in it, it says pressure is a privilege. And what that means to me and what I tell these athletes is people are going to stare. You're used to that. That's never going to get desensitized, but that pressure, their, their eyes, that visibility, that's, that's an opportunity. That's your platform. And you can shy away from it. Doesn't, you're not responsible to stand up and be a speaker. You, but in different ways, you can inspire people along your courageous journey. And so Travis's journey started in the gym. I watched him have breakthrough after breakthrough. He, he, he slowly got over the fear of falling. And then he was doing 100-pound sled pulls. And everyone in the gym, they elevated their game. They lost their excuses. That perspective for them shift. And then I realized, and this is that give a damn moment, man, there's a huge void post-rehabilitation for you know, both veterans and civilians, people that have suffered traumatic injury, uh, degenerative disease. Where do they go after the medical community has said, okay, it's out of our hands? That's where I think private sector and frankly, opportunities for any living, breathing human, those need to overlap. Those need to uh, create abundance for them to go out and figure out not just recreationally, oh, I tried adaptive skiing, I went back to the couch. But how do you plug in in a community and daily have relationships with people at the gym, just like everyone else, that, that keep you accountable, that get you to sign up for that race, uh, that get you to go and hang out with people you maybe wouldn't have outside the gym because that's, that's the funnel that you met them in. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's super inspiring. Thanks for sharing that. So at what point in this whole story that you're talking about, did the Adaptive Training Foundation come about and then talk about what that is, what you guys do, how it affects people? Yeah. Great question. Uh, about six months or so of training Travis and another 10 to 20 adaptive athletes, mostly amputees and spinal cord injuries. Uh, my wife, God bless her. You know, I was, I wasn't charging any of these people because they deserved it. Frankly, I, I, I felt like this was my duty is to repay what they did in sacrificing so much for our country and in just the conduit of hope that they are. And, um, you know, my wife finally stopped me and said, look, we got to make this responsible for our family. Uh, let's start a nonprofit. And it was like, oh, cool. That, seem, that seems easy. Let's just do that. <laughs> Not quite as easy as you think, uh, but it, it thrust me into this place of kind of the title social entrepreneur that I've learned so much about creating sustainability to answer a problem, right? Like just because I have a good cause and, and you have money doesn't mean you're obligated to give. 
right? Like I actually don't believe in charity. Now charity has allowed us to, to ignite this movement and really shine light on, I think, again, uh, a new unorthodox approach to uh, combating psychological issues as well as physical ones. But as I started the foundation, uh, we got our 501c3 really quickly. And you know, now I could raise money to support what this training was doing, but I needed to quantify it, not only for my own understanding of what was working and what wasn't, but also I needed to scale some type of a program so that if I got hit by a bus, this thing would continue. And um, I crafted a way to assess and train anyone with a physical impairment. And then I crafted a nine-week training cycle that we're going to measure certain physical attributes. And now we're working with an academic institute here in Texas to prove how we shift them from extrinsic motivation to intrinsic motivation under these certain factors in the in really the mental affect and effect of our program. So the nine-week program is built on restore, recalibrate, redeploy. You know, restoration happens at opportunity with like individuals, you know, coming in to surrender to this program and see what comes out the other side. The recalibration happens as they, they, they gain success and progress over, you know, asymmetries, imbalances, inefficiencies. Uh, their quality of life impact goes up. Um, we give a customized diet and nutrition plan. They do equine therapy, pool therapy. At the end of the nine weeks, then we go into the redeploy. Um, and this is where we train them for their own individual goals, but also for a collective group goal, like going to Tahoe, taking 22 veterans there and skiing for five days, adaptive skiing. This class that we're about to graduate on Thursday is 10 athletes that are going to do water sports on the lake. We're going to wake surf and wakeboard and hydrofoil and, and, and do monochair stuff. And, and the whole idea is, you know, some will succeed very overtly. Others will feel like they're failing, but the rest of the tribe lifts them up. And together you go and test yourself outside of the walls, the self that you've defined, the new self, right? That was uncomfortable when you walked into our gym. Now you take that person who's comfortable in the gym outside to see, you know, what it is that you can squeeze out of life. And that's the piece that we're really excited about. We've bolstered this program into a really unique model with meditation and mindfulness, call it recharge. And this program is all free of charge. It's a $4,500 scholarship. A lot of corporations and individuals will sponsor athletes. It's been a great way for um, people to align with our cause and see directly where their money is going. And you know, those, those that graduate, they come back as alumni uh, to become trained and certified so they can train others like them, as well as be hired at our gym model to train able-bodied individuals. Correct me if I'm wrong. 22 vets commit suicide every single day, which is staggering. Is that number, would you say that's the number? Yeah, they stay between 20 and 22. And one of our great partners here in Dallas is the 22Kill Foundation, like 22kill.com. People can look at it. You, okay. You're all right. That is a staggering statistic. But as I often say, that's not just a veteran-based issue. It's a human issue. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, and, and that's when we can break the cycle through empowerment. So organizations like that that create massive reach and awareness, they raise money that can funnel into programs like ours. And they've sponsored a ton of warriors through our program. And that ends up being a great launch pad. You know, in nine weeks, we, we can earn their trust. We can figure out what's festering between the left ear and the right ear. You know, you mentioned earlier, um, you know, we stuff these things down and they're going to surface. Well, the dangerous place to be is, is when you're not speaking them into existence because they lessen the hold, the noose around your neck as you begin to speak them out into the world. And then there's the sort of necessary process of, of digging out that scar and whatever that means to you and, with understanding and trust. So we'll get them in. 
and then understand what their needs are and get them into marriage counseling. Maybe it's drug stuff. Maybe it's uh, they're just hurting for money and so we can create an apprenticeship and get them a way to provision for their families during this transition as they're using really constructive habits to replace the destructive ones in their life. Growing up, one of my friends early on in life, when she was about 13 or 14, um, out of the blue, um, committed suicide. Nobody suspected it. She was super happy. We took karate classes together growing up in Guatemala. And it really like shook me. And then I didn't experience that. I didn't have anyone in my life. I, I don't know if I've ever experienced depression. Like I'm a pretty optimistic person. So I've never thought that way. I've never been down enough to even remotely think that way. But then recently in the last couple of months, several people close to me, and I mean close, close to me, um, have, have openly admitted, come out, whether forced or on their own volition, came to me and to us and said, hey, either recently or a few months back, tried to you know, take our lives. And so it's become more and more real. And so I love that you're addressing this um, in, a, in a real tangible way with these, these men and women. Like, do you have any specific stories or circumstances where you did have someone that was pretty, like despairing of life, pretty close to taking their life, and your program or the things that you guys talked about or you know, drilled into them, like changed that course for their lives? Yeah, great question. Also, man, you're killing it. I, I yes, I, frankly, today, um, <laughs> this morning, I got a call from really our director of operations and sort of our case manager over each of the athletes. And um, one of our athletes we hadn't heard from since this weekend. He had posted a picture and talked about being depressed and had had sent a photo of himself with a gun. And so uh, we've done our, you know, we have a very specific process that we enlist. Um, without going into too much details, uh, we were able to get entry into his apartment and he is, he is okay. So just a few short hours ago, uh, we weren't sure if we were going to find him dead in his apartment. Now to date, we've never lost one of our applicants or one of our participants to suicide. And I'm proud to say that. And that's not to say that it couldn't happen. We're always very vigilant on, on our actions to respond. And even our previous class, one of our Marines, after we got back from that trip of skiing, um, you know, called late at night and said he wasn't right. And he racked around. I mean, her it on the phone. And, you know, we drove up an hour, we got him, we got him into help and he went through an inpatient program. And, and when I finally got to visit him inside of there, I got to sit down with him and he had that look of just shame. And I looked at him and I said, brother, let me tell you something, because you were willing to open your mouth, uh, two more of our guys who knew that something was going on with you had just said, Hey man, I'm not right either. I think I need some help. I said, you very well may have saved not only your life, but theirs too. And that's how this thing works. You know, I, I've been on a lot of teams. A team is a roster, right? It's an organizational chart. There's positions and, and, and jobs and responsibilities. But a tribe is different. Tribe recognizes, my definition of tribe, they realize that the most, you know, maybe the perceivably weakest person, the person that may not have as much to offer as some others, that that person has an integral part to the sum of that whole tribe. And, and when you, that's empowerment, right? When Simon Sinek talks about the golden circle, he talks about people, you know, they believe in the larger why, but they show up for their own why. And that's what empowerment is. And so, you know, that, that Marine who opened up his mouth, he's in a great place today. In fact, his family, they ended up just moving here. And, and we've had a few of those that we pulled in nationally that ended up moving to this community because uh, of the type of support that has been built. And, you know, that's, that's the beauty of, I think, you know, getting people to a place that they can be honest. Twice during our nine-week training, we have lock-in meetings where it's just the athletes. I call them root meetings. And root because you can cite 10 reasons to why you're perpetuating the cycles in your life, but then there's the root of it. 
And in my case, the root I had to dig out was that childhood sex abuse. And then through that, have a different lens in which you viewed so many other things and giving yourself some mercy and some grace. So I was able to, to look at that man who had that shame on his face. And I told him, and I believe this to anyone that's listening, in your maker's eyes, in the creator of the universe, whatever, however you identify with that being or whatever that is to you, your worth in, in that eye is fixed. It is a nail and mortar, right? No matter what you do that's good or bad or in between, you can't change that. And, and when, you, when you really look at someone, and I believe that, and I'm saying it to them, and you watch it wash over them, they realize that, man, this journey is part of it. And I celebrate the brokenness and the honesty. Because look, you can get sober and not get honest, right? You can get help and not get honest, but you can't help yourself Right. And no one can help you until you're actually honest. Yeah. No, that's super helpful. I'm, I'm so excited about what you and your team are doing with Adaptive Training Foundation. But I want to spend the last few minutes of our time together focused back on you. The work that you are doing has been featured in a lot of places. Uh, you know, you've been on Ellen. People can go look up that video. I saw a photo with you with George W. Bush. Um, wait, wait. Isn't Howard Schultz your mentor? Is that is that true or am I making that up? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I've been really lucky, man. There's some amazing people around me. That's yeah. ridiculous. So, you know, Ellen, George W. Bush, Starbucks, this is all incredible. So you, you've already done quite a bit. And, you know, I think people are starting to notice that that seems very evident. What's the future for you, David? Like what, what, what do you, what do you want to spend? The, you have a lot of years hopefully left on the earth. Um, you know, we don't know how long it'll be, but, uh, but hopefully many, many years, what's the future look like? What in your dream scenario, what do you continue doing for the rest of your life? What does that look like? Yeah. I'd encourage anyone if they think they've achieved something that is the pinnacle in their life and they're just wondering what's next, or if they feel like they're searching for that, that pinnacle moment and their calling, uh, I think this, what I'm about to say applies to both of them. In my case, you know, I remember exactly where I was when I, when I made the, the, the firm decision. I had the discernment in my heart to start this gym. And my prayer was just, hey, like, God, if this is what's supposed to happen, like, just make it laughably clear. Like, I'm open, dude. I'm obedient to this call in my heart. And, and it, I'm really, frankly, I'm really scared. And I, and I don't know if this is going to work out. Like, I stopped worrying about the how, and I listened to that little still small voice. And whether it's the Starbucks, you know, upstanders video that has gotten, you know, massive exposure where I stopped in a parking lot when I saw a guy without legs, you know, I, I just listened to that still small voice because in my head, I had every rationalized answer to, to not stop. Right. I was late going home. I, my, my kids were screaming in the background. My wife was mad. I was hungry, like, but I stopped instead. And that's where that compassion interrupted me. So what's next for David is, is dealing hope. You know, I've got a book coming out in 2018. The working title is The Hope Dealer. And the idea of dealing hope, you know, my favorite definition of leadership is by Napoleon Bonaparte. And he says that a leader is a dealer of hope. Because I, I think that hope's a priceless currency, right? Like a baby being held when it's born, like it has to happen or else it dies. And I think we all need hope um, to be able to get through those stormy days and to rejoice on the beautiful ones. So whether it's from a stage speaking, whether it's in, in writing through the book, um, a podcast that I'm getting ready to launch in early 18. Um, these are all ways for me to funnel exciting conversations and the lessons that I'm learning through these incredible people in my gym. You know, I, I, don't, I don't use the word hero very often. Our veterans, they hate being called heroes. But when President Bush surprised our guys at the gym and Speaker Ryan was with him, he's told them, look, because you got blown up, you're not a hero. 
A lot of people will tell you that, but, but the responsibility that you have today is the greatest possibility of leadership and truly being that hero. Because people are going to look to you, right? And your message is going to have, uh, for lack of a better word, legs. <laughs> and, and pun intended, they, they laughed at that because they realized that the man that they swore, swore in under, he really believes in them. And I just want people to know um, that I believe in them. You know, my wife, when we were just dating, one of the greatest compliments she ever gave me was that when I pull over to homeless people that are, you know, begging for money, I'll give them the money eventually. But at first I, I ask them their name, where they're from, what their best hobbies are, like what excites them, who's their favorite football team, what was their last job? Like I want to get to know them because so many people look at them as less than. I want to make eye contact. I, I want them to know that they matter. That's just my spirit. And so regardless of, of the mechanisms to create reach with that message, I, I'm today less worried about the how as a result of knowing my why and seeing what can happen when you just do it with an authentic goal out of your heart. That is when the ripple effect, those standard deviations that change everything, you know, that's how I get connected with Howard Schultz and Ellen and then Bush stops by and, and, and you know, we're in talks with people and NBC about a, a potential docu-series and, and what it would look like. And those are all really exciting, but it's not because I was anything extraordinary. I think you said this in the description of this podcast is you're trying to find right ordinary people who have taken a, a social responsibility or responsibility to just make a significant change with where they are and what they have. That's it, man. There's no magic recipe. I think that the quicker you find out what scares you a little bit and you make sure that, that, it, that it validates that call on your heart, that's when you jump. And uh, that's what I've done. And that's what I'm going to continue to do. Dude, I could talk to you for forever. I think there's a million more questions I want to ask you and people would want to hear. But let's, I want to respect your time. You've been so gracious. So one statement, and then we're going to wrap it up with two questions. The statement is, I just want to spend 20 seconds honoring you. I'm so thrilled um, to be connecting with you on, you know, on this communication medium. I've been observing you um, here and there over the last few months. And I'm just so grateful for the ways that you, I mean, there's the, the passion and the energy and the uh, commitment you have to the calling that you have on your life is so, nobody listening will be able to deny you know, what I just said. Like it's there, it's very present. This is something, this is not a bandwagon for you. This is not a soapbox for you. Like you can tell in how just, how passionate and not just passionate, but like, you know what you're talking about. Like these are, these are, this is not a thing that you just like latched onto because it would get you likes on Facebook or get you Howard Schultz as a mentor. Like this is your life. I can tell that. And I don't know anything about you like personally. So I just want to honor you for that. And I want to encourage you to continue um, to live the life that you're doing because you're already, you're already kicking ass and I'm excited to see you, you know, kick more ass. And by, by that, I mean, love people well, serve them, help them not, make poor choices in their lives and help them see their, maybe their disability as, as a gift and not a curse. So thank you. Thank you. And I, I really appreciate that affirmation. It's, I'm not great at accepting compliments. Uh, and, and in this case, I, I, I appreciate those words. I really do. And I think, I think that genuine humility is not discrediting the gifts that make you unique and the greatness that you are, but it is learning how those were gifts that were intended to help those around you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the last, um, the last question is a hypothetical one. 
one day, you know, 50, 60, 70 years from now when you, you know, pass away, uh, for some odd reason, I'm at your funeral celebration, whatever you want to call it, giving your eulogy, sharing your legacy with your, with your family, your friends, that all the men and women you've helped through um, ATF and all the things you're going to do in your life through your book and your podcast and all that, they're all there uh, waiting for me to speak your legacy over them in the form of a eulogy. In three or four sentences, what do you hope that I'll say about your life at that point? Fantastic question. I think at the end, I would like anyone to say about me and I'd like to be able to look at my maker and say, I use what you gave me. Uh, I did it imperfectly but I got nothing left. <laughs> and I think that's, that's just it. You know, it's those that are around me know uh, my greatest uh, gifts can also become my weakness. You know, that had a really profound pastor once tell me that the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And I think the greatest accomplishment in a lifetime can be understanding, you know, the sharp edge of the sword and at times when it needs to be the device you cut with, and at other times, um, you know, being able to not cut, being able to use the opposite. That's the growth that I seek. And I think uh, they're going to talk about David Vibora being a man of passion and integrity and commitment, and one that would always bring in energy that would elevate the best of, out of all of those around him. But how well did David learn from those times where he kept hitting the brick wall and then he had to figure out uh, a way around it. And like that, those are the pieces that I think I can create just great teaching lessons. And I, I want to be able to look at my maker and say, Hey, uh, I use this. and I, I turned, you know, this, this chicken poop into some chicken salad. There you go. Chicken poop into chicken salad. Sounds like the title of a really weird book, but a good one. Um, before we before we wrap up, where can people find out more about you? What do, what do you want them to know about you? And what do you want them to go check out? Well, check out uh, Team ATF, teamatf.org. This is a foundation. Follow Adaptive Training Foundation on all the social channels. And then myself, just my name, David Vobora. Uh, it's always, you're going to get me. I mean, the, the posts on Instagram is like, that's me. You know, it's not somebody doing it for me. I mean, they, they, they handle a lot of the incoming messages and whatnot, but the posts that you're going to get are me. So if I, you know, wipe out on a skateboard and I'm bloodied, you're going to see that. If I, you know, you know, have something beautiful with my family and my, my little girls, you're going to see that too. So what you see is what you get. Um, you know, I'm no different than the people that are listening to this right this second. Um, and I'm always accessible from those people as well. I love that. Well, David, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I know that the Let's Give a Damn family is going to learn, be encouraged, be challenged, and uh, we're grateful for your time. Well, I commend you on what you're doing, and this sounds like a great platform, and I'm anxious to, to listen to some of your stuff here coming up soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Nick. Friends, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this conversation between David and me. Check out the Adaptive Training Foundation at adaptivetrainingfoundation.org. You can follow David and Adaptive Training Foundation on Twitter at David Vobora, D-A-V-I-D-V-O-B-O-R-A, and Adaptive Tribe. So that's at Adaptive Tribe. And then on Instagram, they are at David Vobora and Adaptive Training Foundation. So they were able to spell it all out on Instagram. Go follow them. Keep up with what they're doing. Very exciting things. Lives being touched and changed in very tangible ways. 
As we begin to wrap up, here's a review that Elizabeth left on Apple Podcasts about our show. She said this, I'm only a few episodes in and I'm already so inspired and excited to hear these stories. I personally know Nick and know his heart and vision behind wanting to do this podcast. I promise you won't be sorry if you download and listen. And it's the perfect duration for a commute to work, run on the treadmill, or just afternoon chill at home with a cup of coffee or tea. Thank you, Elizabeth. I prefer the coffee, and I agree. If you like this podcast and want us to continue making podcasts for a long time to come, here are a quick few ways you can help us. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can tell a friend that they should listen and join us. You can share an episode on social media to your following, or you can send a few dollars per month our way by going to patreon.com forward slash let's give a damn. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash let's give a damn. And you can choose a giving level of your choice. Okay, that is it for this week. I truly hope you enjoyed this conversation and that you continue to enjoy the conversations to come. So many to come. Hope you're having fun, learning a lot. Go give some dams this week, my friends. Love you and can't wait to hang out with you next week. Bye for now.